Our scripture lesson this morning, I'm going to read two different portions of scripture. I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and then we'll also read from Hebrews. So the first reading is 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is the portion dealing with, again, the qualifications of the officers. I'm just going to read that of the elders. Please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, as they did throughout the Testament of Old Testament, and probably the New as well, showing respect for the Word of God. Let's hear the Scriptures. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, Respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, nor violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And then if you would now go over to Hebrews in the 13th chapter. Start in verse 14 down through 17. Now let's go up to um, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good as to show and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your flock, uh, over, over your souls, as those who are given accounts. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's take a moment to go to prayer. Please pray for me as I try to preach this text. Pray for yourselves that God would bless this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as the Apostle Paul said, that he came forth with fear and trembling and not with uh, confidence in himself at all, but trusting and resting in you. God, I would ask you to be with me this morning as I have no confidence in my abilities. My sufficiency is in Christ. Lord God, help me as I preach this morning to do so with unction of your spirit, with clarity. Cause your people to listen intently and pray that your spirit would apply this to us, that we may be changed, that we may become more like the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Memory and how it works is something of a mystery. 
This is an article I read uh, in a book, magazine called Knowledgeable Magazine. I'd never seen it before, but I saw the title and read it. He says this, I remember that one kid who wouldn't share the tricycle with me at kindergarten. But, there are actually, but where actually are these memories? I don't mean where do the events take place. I mean how are they actually stored and how far can I trust my storage system? Well, we do not have to cast our minds very far back before the answer to these questions with a resounding nobody knows. He says that we know that we have physical memory because we do it. But exactly how it works, we simply don't really know. But we have them. I don't know how far back you can remember, but uh, I'm sure quite a long way, more than likely, to when you were very, very, very young, maybe even two years old, perhaps even younger. And uh, those memories that we have, some of them make us smile. Some of them can make us even have a hearty laugh. Other memories that we have can make us sad, and they can even make us cry. Even dogs have memories. Can you imagine having a dog that weighed 110 pounds, and he didn't like strangers, and he forgot who you were? Fifteen minutes after he saw you, you had to get reacquainted with him every time you went back to him, and it was uh, challenging to do so. Dogs have memories, but this one had amnesia, apparently. Well, memories are beneficial. There are certain things we can recall to mind that are helpful to us. Certain things we can recall to mind that are important for us. And that is exactly what the writer here to the Hebrews is telling these Christians, that they are to use their memories to think back on their leaders who instructed them for their own spiritual benefit. And they are to look back upon them because they serve as examples to the congregation. They are to be remembered and they are, their faith is to be mimicked. Leaders in the church who lovingly and faithfully instruct the congregation, leaders in the church who lovingly and faithfully instruct the congregation should remember and should understand that these instructions have lasting effects. Therefore, they need to be faithful. Three things this morning. Encouragement to reign two to Christ is needed in days of difficulty. Encouragement to be faithful to Christ is achieved by remembering how our former teachers lived. And then encouragement to bring two to Christ. True to Christ is achieved by remembering how our former teachers died. It's the first thing then. Encouragement to bring two to Christ. True to Christ is needed in difficult days. Living the Christian life can be associated with great difficulties and trials. Jesus talked about that in John chapter 15, 19 through 21. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said unto you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So Christ teaches us that we should not be surprised if we ever face persecution for the fact that we are believers. And I do think that we see more and more hostility against the church in these days and against the gospel. And certainly the direction that our our country is going is contrary in so many ways to what the scriptures teach us. Church history proves that what Christ said is correct. The New Testament church 
There was a man named Stephen who was preaching the gospel. And uh, he did a marvelous job. We know that because it's recorded for us in the scriptures. Uh, and the people covered their ears, they ran upon him, and they killed him. He was the first Christian martyr. From the Greek word martus, which means witness. And so the martyrs then were being witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, and they paid the lesson for it. Until Constantine the first came to the throne, came to rule over the empire, it was in 306. Uh, in each generation, about 300 years, Christians were persecuted. It was more severe at times than others, but Christians were persecuted. Until Constantine came uh, to rule, and after Constantine came to rule, it was the, uh, the uh, Edict of Milan in 313, which uh, gave the Christians, Christianity was no longer outlawed. They were to be tolerated. And they were also given back their properties and then taken away from them. And so for 300 years, the church underwent persecution, a severe persecution. And yet they remained true to the word of God. And we understand that what the writer here is talking about, as they look back on those leaders in the church, who even in the midst of difficulty, remain true to the scriptures and true to the proclamation of the word. In our own day and age, there are some who teach and believe that Christianity is an easy, breezy life. It's contrary to, to Scripture, and it's also contrary to history. They teach that once you are converted, you need to expect to have a fat bank account, nicest things that, the, uh, that can be offered in the world, and the best health you can possibly imagine. But yet, when they suffer trials and persecutions, their theology fails them. Reality of the fact is, Living the Christian life is not easy. You have urges that are contrary to God's will. And sometimes you act on those urges. You have attitudes that are contrary to God's will. And sometimes you stoke those attitudes when they're not what God would have you to do and not what God would have you to be. What is our goal as Christians? Matthew 5:48 You are to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And that means that we are to obey Christ. That means that we are to put him first. That means we are to own him publicly. That means we are not to be ashamed of the gospel as Paul says for it is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. Even if our faith would cost us severely, we must remain true to God. And true to Christ. Because to reject him has significant consequences that are not pleasant. So here in verse chapter 17, I mean chapter, verse 13 chapter 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What the writer is doing is trying to encourage these Christians to tenacity, to remain true, uh, to hang in there. In the midst of trials, back in chapter 3, verses 6 and 8, we are not of his house, if indeed, I'm sorry, we are of his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, the Holy Scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. This is a reference either to Moses when he struck the rock and the water came out, rather than speaking to the rock as God had told him to do. Or it refers to the entirety of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And again and again, they rebelled. And again and again, they were chastised. 
for what they had done. Well, it is that God would have us to be obedient always. God's promises are certain. Uh, The reality of heaven is certain. The greater things to come are ours. Those things are certain. So what he does here, because it is possible for Christians as they go through difficulties to embrace wrong attitudes, to blame God, and to simply give up on their faith and quit trying. David, King David, for a time that he got Bathsheba with child, and just some time after that, did not repent. He did not enjoy his relationship with God. We know that. You read Psalm 32 and you see that. My bones wasted away, my groanings all day long, for your hand was heavy upon me. In Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. So there even a man after God's own heart could get so wrapped up into sin and lawlessness that he ignored the precepts of God willingly. Don't think that we're better than David. Don't be fooled into thinking that. He was a great godly man. And if he can fall into that sin, so can you. Don't ever think, I could never do that because, yes, you could. The simple fact is, you could. I said yesterday in the morning's prayer book, because there is no sin that we cannot commit. What he is doing here, he's reminding them of their support group and to look to their support group. Uh, if I read this, the writer designs design was to fortify them against temptations to apostasies, to encourage them unto steadfastness in the faith, so as to establish them that every even though they should be called upon to suffer a violent death, they would yet remain loyal so that they would not wane, so that they would not waver in the midst of sufferings and trials, so they would remain true to Christ. He tells him to look at their support group. So over then, uh, encouragement to remain true to Christ is achieved by remembering their leaders and how they lived. Hebrews 10, 32-39. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, After they received the gospel, after they became Christians, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. If you had compassion on those in prison, in prison for the sake of the gospel, uh, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore, therefore, Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. This is a quote from the Old Testament. The coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. But if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back. So he's telling them to look back when they first received the Scriptures. And when they first became believers, they underwent a severity of trials. But he says, don't give up. Don't give in to the temptation to go away and reject the gospel. And don't be tempted to go back to the temple worship. So Jews were accepted. They were not being persecuted. It was the church that was being persecuted. And so he reminds them of this to recall the past that they may receive encouragement. 
So he holds before them, remember those in the past who first brought the word of God to you. The word that you received with joy. Uh, the word of God was received because God's grace, they understood it, and they embraced the Savior. He says, think back on the joy that you had. It does us well to remember our conversion. It does us well to remember where we were before we were converted and where we are, are since we have been converted. So he takes them to that point when they first came to preach the gospel to them. They received it. And they were excited about it, and they had joy in it. Joy in the fact that Christ had come, had lived a life for them, had died for them, was raised for them, and now they had peace with God. And there was nothing that could ever possibly change that. Nothing. Except for them rejecting the faith and moving on. As it says, we know I believe in the perseverance of the saints, so don't come up here and say you're not thinking right. They went out from us. But they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would remain. But their going out shows they were never truly converted. So we hang in there, and we keep on keeping on, and keep on trusting God. And he's not recommending this for sentimental reasons, uh, sentimental warm feelings of thinking back on the good old days when they first came to us, and we received the gospel, and we were united, you know. That's not the purpose of it. They are to remember them in order to imitate their faith. As they think on not sentimental nonsense, but spiritual matters. Spiritual matters that have everlasting repercussions. They are not to remember their failings. They are not to think about their personalities. They are to think about their faith and how they lived out their Christianity. That's what they're to bring up. Their faith in how they lived their Christianity, how they lived out their lives. And their faith was the source of their faithfulness to Christ and his gospel. Do you hear that? Their faith was the source of their faithfulness to Christ and his gospel. So how's your faith doing today? Are you centered completely on Christ, completely trusting Christ, and committed to living for Christ, and committed to laboring for Christ? Is that where you are? Or are there things in your life that are causing you to question, to question God? Have you let yourself yourself get into a position where you shouldn't be? Whether it's through an attitude or an action, whatever the case may happen to be. That your faith is just not what it should be. And you're not really focused on Christ as you should be. And you're not loving Christ as you should be. And that's possible for every believer to get into a weakened stake spiritually. And so here, again, the writer says, think back on your leaders in the past. Think back on them. And think back to their example of faithfulness. That they faithfully taught you the Word. They faithfully lived the Word in front of you. And they lived bravely, even in the face of persecution. So they are to then think on their piety. They are to think on their holiness. They are to think on their commitment to Christ. They are to think on what they were taught by these people that came and taught them in the church. And that no matter what the circumstances they faced, these people, these leaders, continued to preach and teach the gospel. So encouragement to remain true to Christ achieved by remembering how they lived. Last thing is encouragement to remain true to Christ is achieved by remembering how their teachers died. 
These men are obviously dead. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. It's all past tense. They're dead. I don't know how they died. Did they die as martyrs? Did they stand bravely against the tide of persecution? Did they boldly proclaim the word of God as they were being killed? We don't know. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how they died. What matters is how they faced and how they conducted themselves in the midst of facing death. It doesn't matter the, the consequence. It doesn't matter the method, if you will. But how they faced it as that time approached. Did they die in confidence and placidity? Did they die in hope with expressions of peace upon their faces? When they departed this world, did they go out in a constant courage that they were not afraid to die? That they were not afraid uh, of suffering because they knew that at the end of their life, they had a place in glory with Christ. That was their confidence. And they were settled in that. And apparently these leaders that he talks about, these men that were their teachers, were great examples of faithfulness to Christ. The faith they possessed enabled them to approach the great divide with calmness and confidence. For they died in Christ, the great conqueror of sin and death. So they lived well, and they died well. As we consider all those in our life who have influenced us throughout the years, spiritually, those who are gone, whether it was a grandparent or a parent, uh, a friend, perhaps an old pastor that is now gone to glory, And they certainly had a great, uh, important role to play in our life spiritually. But ultimately, we focus upon and look upon uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the great shepherd. He's the great leader. He's the great teacher. And these men worked for the cause of the gospel, but it is, we look to those of the past for encouragement but we look to Christ for that abiding and constant hope. He is our God. He is our Savior. He is our Master. He is our friend. He saved us from hell. Anybody here not believe in hell? Christ did. Hell is mentioned more times in the New Testament than heaven is. Jesus believed in hell. If you don't believe in hell, then you think you know more than Jesus did. He still saves. He still hears. He will hear you today. If you're not a believer and you come to him in faith and repentance, Christ welcomes you. He welcomes you. Once that relationship has started, once you are in Christ, he will never leave you. That's not to say you're never going to go through trials. That's not to say you're not going to have to face very, very difficult occasions. Not to say that at all. Not to say that your life is going to be a bed of roses since you become a Christian as the health, wealth, and prosperity people declare. But it is to say that Christ will be with you, whatever you face. When you stand at the grave of a Christian, and you know the presence of Christ in your life, there is a great comfort there. A great comfort there. 
Imagine for a moment, just for a moment, imagine that you are in hell. I don't know if we could ever think how horrible it would be. The main presence there is God's wrath and condemnation. There's no hope. There's no chance of getting out. And the burning of the conscience. And perhaps even remembering how you spurned the gospel. That there you had that opportunity to come to faith and you refused to do so. Imagine you were there in the midst of that suffering for ten minutes. Ten minutes. It would seem like an eternity. The horrors that you would experience. There's nothing pleasant about hell, according to the scriptures. Nothing pleasant at all about hell. It does exist And if you're not a Christian, that's where you're going to spend eternity. But if you are a Christian, you will spend eternity in glory. Christ has kept us out of hell. And the men that he talks about here in the text were men who did the job to instruct them, to help them, to know and love Christ, that they may be in glory. Elders are not businessmen. That's not to say that they can't be involved in business. But the the session is not a group of businessmen. They're not to function in that capacity. They are to be shepherds. They are to be teachers. They are to instruct the people of God. That's their purpose. As he says here in the text, remember those who taught the word of God to you. So we see why with the importance of the responsibilities placed upon those who serve in the office of elder, we can see well why Paul gives us instruction uh, it's a worth, it is a trustworthy saying if anyone aspires to the office of, of overseer. We need to be praying for God to raise up young men who are committed to Christ, who have gifts, and can teach in this church and lead in this church. You don't go ho-hum through a church. You pray for it. You plead for it. We need young men to take up the reins of leadership. Young men to take up the responsibility of teaching. Pray for that. And I would challenge the young men that are here to strive for that office, to strive to be Christ-like and holy, to strive to be one who is committed and has a burden for the gospel and a burden for God's people. It's a trustworthy thing, he says here. He desires a noble office. He is to be above reproach, not one who is full of scandals. He's to be the husband of one wife. Once divorce, question mark. Twice divorce, two questions mark. Question marks. We had a man in our Presbyterian Muscle Shoals. We found out he'd been married four times. Four times. We met with him. He said, well, each time the wife left him. Each time. That wasn't the case. And so we deposed him and put him out of the ministry. The husband of one wife, it says here in the scriptures. Sober-minded. Self-controlled. John Calvin said that all of these other qualifications come under that of being self-controlled. They fit under the umbrella of being self-controlled and disciplined. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach. One who can teach and instruct in the scriptures, can teach the gospel. A man must be the, manage his household well. His children must be kept in check, disciplined, and uh, he is to be one who is not conceited 
and he must be well thought of by those outside. That's the elder. You can see why Paul lays down these qualifications in Timothy and in Titus, as these men are to get elders to be involved in the church, and they have a great responsibility before the Lord. And elders will give an account before the Lord. God is pleased to equip men to serve in that office. It is the utmost importance that the church be careful, very careful before appointing anyone in that office. Elders are sinners. They're not perfect. They're sinners. But they are to be men of integrity and commitment. The ultimate expression, listen, this, the ultimate expression of care on the part of the eldership is in being apt to teach. The Bible so that the people may be fed the word of God. That's from Alistair Begg. Another quote from Alistair Begg. The essential qualifications directly related to an elder is tied expressly, but not exclusively, but expressly to their ability to teach the truth and to rebuke those who contradict it by precept or lifestyle. Elders must have a passion for the gospel. Elders must have a passion for people. Others must have a passion to see the church progressing together in unity and in peace as we are called to live at peace with all men. And so we pray for that as we move on in the future of this congregation. I said a moment ago, our great shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reminded of that as we come to the Lord's table this morning. We're going to do it the same way we have in the past. We'll start over here on this side. Come up the middle aisle, go back to your seats. In the middle of this section, come up, go back to your seats around that way. And then uh, here, come up and go down that way. And then this group over here, do the same thing. Just some instructions, because one time I didn't give them, and I was I heard it from several people that uh, it was all messed up. So pretty simple. That's what we are supposed to do. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank